This is The Every Lawyer, presented by the Canadian Bar Association. Typically, I record conversations with the president at the CBA podcasting studio in Ottawa. Today, I'm recording from my home in Toronto while I practice self-isolation and social distancing during the COVID-19 pandemic crisis, so the sound quality might not be as clear as usual. Stay safe, and I hope you enjoy listening to the podcast. Welcome to Conversations with the President. My name is Vivian Salmon. They say when the going gets tough, the tough get going. That saying should be, when the going gets tough, the resilient quickly figure out ways to adapt and keep going. That's because you can be tough, but completely unprepared to pivot in order to adapt to new realities. The COVID-19 pandemic has provided us with a host of new realities to face head on. In this episode, Martine Boucher and I will discuss the impact those realities can have on small and sole legal practices, many of which lack the resources of larger firms. Small and solo firms are not always adept at knowing how technology can help them to adapt faster and more efficiently to change. Since being called to the bar in Quebec in 1997 and in Alberta in 2012, Martine Boucher has developed experience that includes working at a large national law firm and working as in-house legal counsel. In 2009, she founded the boutique law firm Simplex Legal. Simplex Legal is based on a philosophy of changing the way lawyers and their clients interact. Martine is chair of the CBA Futures Subcommittee and is a member of the CBA Task Force on Justice Issues Arising from COVID-19. Welcome to the podcast, Martine. Oh, I'm so happy to be here, Vivian. So we have so much to ask you today. I'm really excited that you're able to join. Let's turn to really what's happening right now with COVID-19. What is the impact of the coronavirus on small and solo firms? Well, I think the impact's been uh, really profound. For some of us, it's been, it's brought a lot of opportunities. For others, uh, it's been a lot of challenges that can be turned into opportunities, but it's it's been really interesting. I think the the best part about being a solo and small firm is is we can be nimble, so we can turn around more quickly and get things. But we have a little less resources, so the crisis has put that at the forefront. And I think everybody's response been different, but we've all been pushed into doing things differently, which makes me happy. As the the chair of the future subcommittee, we've been helping and pushing people and trying to offer. Uh, ideas on how to do this. So I think that COVID's really pushed us in that direction. Let's turn now to what you're hearing and what you're experiencing across the country. Um, Are there regional differences that you are experiencing or seeing as you interact with your clients and other lawyers across the country? Um, yeah, well, obviously, like uh, Ontario and Quebec's been uh, hit more. It's, it's been much more difficult with COVID and the number of cases. And I think uh, people have had to deal with much more stringent rules around uh, social distancing. So, so it's brought a, a host of issues that uh, companies had to deal with, like you know, from anything from you know, you're you've got a piece of equipment coming and it's ready to be delivered and you can't pick it up and how do you deal with it? So lawyers have been struggling to find answers that are not necessarily in the contracts. 
all the way to uh, to here in Alberta, where the economy was really hard even before this hit. And, uh, you know, many people are talking about this being as hard, if not harder than the Great Recession. So there's uh, another layer of complexity. So I think each region has been impacted in a big way, but maybe for different reasons at times. And uh, that, that requires us to adjust our response and be uh, uh, and really develop our empathy muscle to to listen to what people have to say and what they're facing to be able to support them. What about at the micro level? What about Simplex Legal? How have you had to adapt to operations? You know, that's an interesting one. And I, <laughs> a lot of people have been talking about this uh, guilt feeling that some people experience during this crisis. And I think us at Simplex, we've been We've been feeling that guilt because um, in some ways we were built for, for something like this. Like we've been a virtual law firm for uh, almost 10 years. So our operations were already digitized. All of our processes were thought in a way that everybody could work remotely. Um, so the challenges and the the way we've been affected by COVID has been uh, mostly on the human level. So, you know, individuals has had to deal with, you know, a spouse working at the hospital and suddenly two young kids at home uh, needing to be homeschooled. And uh, so while we're set up to deliver our services, like we were not thought with uh, having to deliver homeschool in the middle of the day. So there were like personal challenges like that, but we didn't have to pivot uh, the way we were delivering our services, we just had to adapt to our personal life, which, which is really how we've built Simplex. We've built Simplex to help people balance their their work, uh, their profession, the way they they want to be professionally with their personal life. So I think we've done quite well. Hmm. And I think this is probably going to be a challenge across the country that governments as well as businesses and law firms are going to have to think about that human side as we go to the next stage of reopening with families having to adapt, work from home, even transit systems, all those kind of things. When we reopen, I think those are things that governments too are struggling with. How do we do that cohesively? So there's a lot of technology out there too that can make working remotely easier, but it seems a lot of lawyers aren't really using technology well or to its full potential. So how easy is, is it for small firms to identify what they need and integrate new technologies into daily operational activities? That's a really good question, Vivine. I, I think it's both super easy and hard at once. It's easy because the technology is there and, and it's like over the last few years, it's it's been made so easy to implement. Like uh, when I started Simplex with Jeff, like about 10 years ago, I was not like... I was not into technology that much. I had a curiosity, but it was like, well, I'll just play around and see. And we've built a whole law firm. Like, you know, we can compete with some of the national law firms and some of the, we're helping some of the, the big legal departments. So it's, it's doable and it's doable with not many resources. At first, it was really just the two of us with another lawyer. Um, so you don't need, it's, it's not that expensive. And it's it's not that hard. That said, 
you need to have an open mind and you need to be willing to play around and try and maybe not be successful on the first turnaround. And I think that's where um, people struggle uh, combined with the, the change leadership aspect, right? Like once you have a little bit of a bigger team, you have to convince other people that they should invest the time in learning something new that at the end uh, on the final they will do better with the technology than without so what I, I i think covid has brought us will be better because there's no other way right now so people have had to to they've been pushed into this need for change so i think this is easier than ever to to make that business case that you need to learn this because it will allow you to work uh, versus it will make you work better, which was a discussion we had like a year or two ago. Right now, people see the, the case so you can move a little faster. So I'm not sure if I've answered correctly your question, but I think it's it's got that two component. It's, it's easy, more easy than ever, and yet it's hard because of the human side of things. Hmm. For a long time, whenever we talked about innovation in the legal profession, it was understood really that we're talking about technology. But is there innovation without technology? I think I think there is a lot of innovation without technology. Um, and it's funny because like I, I, I often talk about technology um, as, as being a a solution uh, looking for a problem. So people often start with technology, but I, I think it's the wrong starting point. I think you need to, to, to start with what's the problem you're trying to solve. And jumping to a solution, um, if, you, if you look at any of the, the design thinking processes, the lean of this world, like all these these uh, model that helps you improve and implement a culture of innovation and, and ongoing uh, improvement, they always start by saying, what's your problem? So I, I think to me, innovation is just looking at the world around us and, and looking at problems and seeing what are the problems that we want to fix. And uh, sometimes the solution is as easy as having a, a process as doing a brainstorming on how you are doing things, what's working well, what's not working well, and how do you want to change things and how do you want to improve? The solution is not always technological. Uh, more than often, people are the answer, you know, to, to, to solving that issue. And do you think it's easier than for small and medium-sized law firms to be more creative than in terms of, as you discuss, look at things in the ways of how do we solve problems and how to be creative? Do you think that there's a little bit more flexibility for small and medium size to be more creative and more nimble? It, the nimbleness is certainly a great factor. Um, for me, that's the biggest advantage that the solo and small firms have is uh, once you see a problems and you decide to do something about it, you don't have to convince a whole lot of people. You can make your case really easily and you can turn and implement it. So I'll give you the example, Vivian, like um, uh, for the last two summers, we've been inviting students to work with us for the summer. Like law students join us and we start the summertime with two or three improvement areas that we want to do. And last summer, like in the span of six weeks, we had one of the uh, IFLP, the Institute for the Future of the Legal Practice, 
sending us a student and one of our IFLP students implemented a full precedent database automated uh, with workflows and so on. And we had something like 50 contracts already in our database. And that was just six weeks of a student time. So I think it just requires us to think differently. And it was not a big expanse, right? So it's, it's something that's available to solo and small firm. If you want to do something and make it happen, just make the plan and, and find the resources and just do it. That's great advice. Martine, what do you um, see small firms doing to build resilience, whether it's with human resources or technology or adapting to change and even future pandemics that unfortunately you might be right around the corner? How do small and medium-sized firms build resilience? Yeah, that's that's a tough one. It's it's a beautiful question. It's something we need to to really spend time on. But to me, it really starts with mental wellness uh, you need and that's not something that you do just in 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 time of pandemic or crisis you need to have those uh, healthy habits implemented and help your team um, do it and if you're you're solo or you're on your own you need to find your tribe you need to find other people with whom you can connect to to make that happen so um there's different uh, subgroups like within the CBA, obviously, but at the Law Society, uh, I've seen it across the, the country. Like there's a lot of resources available, like, for example, like Calm, which is one of my favorite apps, uh, offers uh, a free membership right now during this crisis. And it just gives you the opportunity to do uh, meditation. We've set up for our team like yoga classes. So we've hired, you know, an employee that had been let go. And we just asked her if she would do like yoga sessions for us. Like it's imperfect. We're on Zoom. And, you know, sometimes you see a cat walking in front of the camera, but it gives the opportunity to our team. And we've extended the invitation to some of our suppliers and, you know, the broader group that makes Simplex and not all of them are employees, but we all combine and we meet each other. We've got virtual coffee. We've got, so we've got lots of ways to engage. Really need to have a strong community surrounding you and you need to take care of your mental well-being. And the other part, if I may, is there's two things that we do on a regular basis and is, uh, it's really practicing, uh, gratitude and uh, a positive focus like we try to start every uh, meeting every conversation with kind of highlighting what's the positive that has happened and there's some uh, great science out there that really shows that if you're forcing people to scan their environment for positivity it starts changing your outlook on life so that's all about building resilience and we do regular lessons learned we always like look at projects, look at matters, look at the way our team operate, and we're, we constantly ask ourselves, so what's working well? And we spend a lot of time on that. Then we go to what's not working well, not jumping the gun, like everybody wants to talk about what's not working well, but it, you need, again, that positivity. And then moving into what can we do better? And uh, just showing people that it, that is a, it is an iteration. And it's a process and we can all get better by following that process. And I think that's how you build resilience. It's a combination of taking care of yourself uh, and focusing on positivity and just seeing the world as a big uh, case for ongoing improvement. That's so important. I think so too, just to have everyday positive thinking, even though there's so many tough challenges, whether personally or with running a business, 
you're right. It's really important to see the world that there's sunshine in the world. It's not always negative and things do change. So how can the CBA help small and solo firms more? I think we need to foster a culture of collaboration. In some ways, a lot of people that are working solo in their their firm or like a small team, they're used to be on their own and they forget sometimes the power of numbers. But I think fostering that that collaboration and giving a, a place for solo and small firms to meet and exchange and find out what's happening. Like I've discovered over the last two, three months that so many technological platforms were, were offering their services for free. Well, I, I've discovered that by talking to other people and just exchanging and everybody is doing their own little part, but we're together as a group. We, we could do so much more if we get together and somebody says, hey, I've done this part, just learn from me. Uh, we need to break those silos and stop thinking that, uh, you know, if we keep things to ourselves, we're going to have this small competitive advantage on the others. But if you play all together, we're going to all do better and I think execute better on our social contract that is to, to help the public get access to justice, right? So, so I, I really like that spirit of collaboration. And that's why like, I started a legal innovation roundtable in Calgary where anybody who's interested in trying to do things different, they're just welcome to join the group. And it's really informal. We just sit down and we've got people from uh, all different spheres, uh, like whether it's the Law Society, the Canadian Bar Association, the university, technological companies join us. It's like we're, we're all sitting there and just sharing our thoughts on the topic. And I think that's important. You know, I was inspired by Mitch Kowalski in Toronto, but I was like, why not Calgary? Why, why can't we have it? And honestly, this could happen everywhere in, in, in any center. I, I just had the, I'm, I'm forgetting her, her name, but the, this, this lovely uh, lawyer from uh, Winnipeg who called me and wanted to do the same thing over there. So you, you can start a spark and inspire other people to collaborate and just sit down together. And it's amazing what can happen when we do that. So let's um, switch gears a little bit. So the CBA's Legal Features Initiative produced a report in 2013 that talked about changes the profession needed to make to better serve clients and the future. In a way, I feel to some degree the future is here. So what stops us from, as a profession, taking our own advice? Oh, this one keeps me awake at night. <laughs> so I think what, what keeps us is um, it's, it's, a few, it's a few things, but a few very important things. Like humans don't like change to begin with. And I think lawyers are even more uh, resisting to change. I think partly due to our training and I love our, our love for precedent, our, um, as an industry, like we've, we've heard so many times uh, Dr. Larry Richards talk about the personality traits that are common to lawyers. And, uh, you know, you combine a uh, resistance to change with a uh, lack of resiliency, which we've already talked, but if you're afraid and that you cannot bounce back from mistakes, you don't want to try new things. And to me, that's, that's, a, that's a big one that we need to address. 
uh, what gives me hope is that, you know, you sometimes need to instill a sense of urgency for change. And I don't think that the legal industry has, has felt that sense of urgency. Like we talk about a switch and that customers are pushing for it, but it's kind of incremental change. It's not like a big transformational change. I feel that with COVID for the first time that the future is now. People are seeing what can happen if we don't change. They can see how disruptive it can be if you cannot meet in person. And I think it's forced people to, to go through changes, not because they thought it would be better, but because they had to. And suddenly they see that they can do it and it's not the end of the world. Like they've experienced it and they were okay. Like they, they survived this. Like we, we've survived this period for most of us. Like we, we've done it, right? We've pivoted. We've, we've moved from in-person, on-site, like favoring everything paper to, okay, we can, we can meet by Zoom. We can have like a video conference. We can do a podcast like this. And it's, it's not that hard. And I think for the first time, people will have like a precedent. The lawyers will have a precedent that they can do change. And it wasn't as bad as they thought. So that gives me a lot of hope, Vivian. Mm-hmm. It is very encouraging. How are small firms in particular, do you think, disadvantaged by lack of modernization in the courts? What are you hearing small firms share with you? Uh, well, the trial lawyers are really struggling right now. You know, if you're a small, uh, small practice or solo and your livelihood depends on going to court and there is no court hearing, there's a big financial impact right now. I don't know, like I keep going back to uh, the data that I heard, like attending all the various uh, annual meetings with the CBA and hearing the reports from the chief justices across the country, like there was a huge access to justice crisis before COVID hit. And I'm really concerned about how this is going to unplay. Like we had huge backlog, like I, I can't remember the exact numbers, but if you were to file a claim in Queen's Bench in January 2020, I think your best hope of getting your day at the court was three years from the moment you filed. You know, business and people cannot wait for that long. So that was the backlog before COVID hit. So add to that the fact that the courts have paused for anything that's not urgent and which is a lot of things. So all that backlog is just adding on top of the pile. And add to that, like, every dispute that will arise as a result of COVID. Like, obviously, like, force measure disputes, contracts, supply chain disruption, um, family law. Like, people have been stuck in a house, like, violence, like, you know, there's a... There's going to be so much issue on family law and all of this is going to combine and, and just compound and make the problem bigger. So I think, think there's a great opportunity for the solo and small firms if they're doing trial to rethink the way they can move forward. But it won't be just courts. I think they'll have to think differently. It's, it's scary and it's exciting all at once. But that's what I hear is people are just either jazzed by the opportunities or they're paralyzed by fear. And we need to find a way to to move forward and, and do this differently so that uh, solo and small firms can, can thrive, not just survive, but thrive. 
And uh, that's where I think we can bring some value, Vivine. Martine, thinking about these complex issues, access to justice, the issues in family practice, I was thinking about this for a long time myself as this pandemic unfolded, and I thought it was important for the CBA to have um, somewhat of a, I would say, an organized voice in that, and that's why we started the CBA Task Force on Justice Issues Arising from COVID-19, and the first um, meeting of the task force happened not too long ago on April 23rd, and I know you're a part of that. What do you hope to see come out of the COVID task force? I want to see a strong uh, thought leadership about the future of our courts. Uh, Richard Susskind's been just published a book about online courts and what he sees around the world, what can happen, where do we need to go. And he keeps on talking that it takes three to four years from the moment there's a real desire to change to implement a new system and a new way of doing um, I'm hoping that the task force and my biggest wish for the task force is to bring that sense of urgency and a clear call to action so that we can start changing things and provide a better access to justice. It's a, it's a big blue sky goal, but I, I think it needs to start with, with that clarity that we want to do things differently and urgently. Uh, the sense of urgency is often what's missing. Otherwise, we're going to be talking about this for another 10 years. And there's an immediate need. And I think this need has been made even more pronounced by the combination of what we discussed earlier, you know, the combination of stopping the courts, adding new battles, adding new issues with an existing backlog, an existing problem that was already quite bad, to be, uh, to be blunt. Yeah, and I, I think it would be tragic as well. There's so many stakeholders that are part of solving this issue. And of course, they all have a very important role to play. And our our governments have an, an important role to play as well as in terms of investing more money in the justice sector. Martine, do you have anything to add? I feel like we're coming at the close of our time. I find these issues so interesting. I feel I've had so many interesting guests, including yourself. I feel like we could talk on and on for hours about them, but I know we only have limited time. So I'm wondering if there's anything that perhaps you'd like to leave listeners across the country with. That's great. I'm, I'm so glad you invited me and I feel the same way. I feel we could continue talking for such a long time. But like, uh, I think for my parting words is... Uh, the financial crisis in 2008 has changed the legal industry in, in some ways. I think COVID will be another defining moment. And this is our chance. This is the time for, for us leaders in the legal industry to really make an impact on our society. And I hope people uh, get their head above the water enough to move from that survival to thriving and seeing the opportunities to instill a long lasting change and, and be that positive force in, in our society. So anybody who's interested in, in having those conversations, I really encourage them to contact the, the futures subcommittee, reach out to me personally, like we can continue this conversation offline and really bring those ideas to the table and start executing on, on, on them. We need to stop talking and, and start doing, and it starts in, in smaller pieces and let's just move the needle. We can do this together. 
In this episode, I've been speaking with Martine Boucher, co-founder and managing partner of Simplex Legal. We want to hear your stories about the changes you've seen in the legal profession or think the profession needs to make. Where do you see generational conflict and how do you suggest we overcome it? Let us know on Twitter at CBA underscore news, on Facebook, and on Instagram at Canadian Bar Association. You can hear this podcast and others on our CBA channel, The Every Lawyer, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe to receive notifications for new episodes, and to hear us in French, listen to our Juris Branché podcast.